are hosting another Makers of Minnesota dinner at the Lexington in St. Paul. Not only will you be front and center with some of the best Minnesota makers in the Twin Cities, but you will be treated to a three-course dinner compliments of Chef Nick from the Lexington, who will be using the featured maker's ingredients in all the courses he's making for this special event. Our October dinner is Tuesday, October 25th, and our featured makers are so fun, including Milk and Honey Ciders, who's making beautiful ciders at their orchard in St. Joseph, Three Bear Oats, who specialize in grain bowls full of delicious goodness. Also on deck is Taking Stock Foods. They've got these organic bone broths that taste amazing and are so good for you, as well as Olive Oil on Tap, who has formulations of specialty oils and vinegars that are out of this world. And speaking of out of this world is Mrs. Kelly's Tea. Mindy Kelly is truly a savant at blending the most beautiful, flavorful, aromatic teas, and she's been doing it for years in Northeast Minneapolis. I can't wait for you to meet her. I'm so excited to see how Chef Nick will use all these ingredients in this multi-course menu. We'll have a limited number of tickets for this special dinner, and when they're gone, they're gone. So go to thelexmn.com and sign up via Eventbrite for the Makers of Minnesota dinner. Get your tickets now at thelexmn.com and watch for details on our November 29th dinner, where Chef Nick will be cooking the book, the True North Cabin Cookbook, just in time for the holidays. So go to thelexmn.com to get tickets and sign up for my free newsletter so you're always in the know about any events I'm excited about or hosting at stephaniesdish.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Makers of Minnesota podcast, where we're talking to cool people doing cool things. Today, I'm talking to Tom Wisenand, and he is the co-founder and CEO of Indeed Brewing. And I'm so glad to talk to you because you guys are on the cusp of something really controversial, but also really cool and maybe really fun with the launch of uh, the THC hard seltzer that you have. Too good. You also had a CBD seltzer prior called Lull that you're bringing back into production. And we're getting you, this is the end of August and this will air in September. So we're getting you on the really beginning cusp of this new and emerging industry. What does that feel like? Because you guys kind of were on the front end of the beer movement too. So good for you. Yeah. I mean, it it feels good. Um, You know, in beer and in alcohol, you kind of are very restricted in what you can do. And so for the past 10 years, and we've certainly kept ourselves busy, um, you know, growing indeed into, you know, a relatively large craft brewery and, and popular tap room in, in Minneapolis and then Milwaukee. Uh, but I will say over the past 10 years, there's, we've had a lot of ideas and, and those ideas weren't always possible because we're involved in alcohol. So the change has happened recently with uh, the legalization of hemp drive THC uh, in Minnesota for use in consumable products is, is kind of a game changer for us because we get to be involved and participate in it. And it's something that we've always sort of been eyeing, honestly, it, it's, it's, uh, you know, lull was a step towards the idea of, of making a THC beverage in the future. And, um, so yeah, it's, it's kind of, uh, it's really exciting. We just turned 10 years old and it feels like we're we're turning uh, it's not just like another chapter in indeed but maybe it's like another whole section in the book so yeah for sure and you guys originally um started with um the lull product that's cbd based and you are bringing that back online 
can you like you have two percent uh thc in your too good product and the legal line is five percent apparently and i know that each city is kind of weighing their options i'm curious what the difference is between the two drinks and why you felt like you wanted to bring lull back and then also like what the feeling is can you describe it sure yeah, so you know, Lull uh, is the original beverage we made, which is um, you know made with just CBD, uh, which was derived from hemp, um, but doesn't have you know at least as much perceived sort of uh, you know psychoactive impact on you. Um, and then you know, too good is two milligrams of THC and also two milligrams of CBD, um, and that THC is hemp derived, but it's the same THC you would find in like legal cannabis products. Uh, in other states where you have a recreational marijuana, um, you know, we different consumers want different things. Uh, some people are look for CBD. Um, CBD does have some, you know, everybody kind of every all this stuff impacts people differently. Um, but yesterday I was actually sampling some CBD and, you know, I felt like a euphoric sort of a euphoric feeling um, kind of just like kind of chilled out, I guess you could say. Uh, the THC products, uh, they can they can make you more in the kind of traditional high that you might associate with uh, smoking, uh, marijuana or consuming edibles. Um, you know, two milligrams is not a huge amount of THC, uh, by most standards. Of course, it all depends on the person. If you've never consumed THC, it might have a bigger impact on you. Um, so, you know, two milligrams is where you want to start. It's, I don't like to compare THC consumption to alcohol consumption and the effects that it has is because it is so different. Uh, but the idea with two milligrams is a lot of people will consume two, four, six, eight, even 10 milligrams of THC. And there are certain people out there who consume much more than 10 milligrams of THC um, at a time or in a, in a period of time. So two milligrams is kind of made where you can maybe have one, two, three, and you can kind of experiment and, and see how it impacts you, um, you know, as you consume more. Uh, so, yeah, we, we will be, you know, releasing a product here in the new future as well that uh, is going to be a five milligram. A beverage it's as well. A, so. Yeah, it's such a weird territory because I'm on the older end and, you know, we smoked pot recreationally in college and I wasn't really a big pot smoker. And my daughter's group of friends like her, she's in the early 20s and the mid 20s, and they just really see THC and cannabis and pot. They see it as no different than drinking a glass of wine having a beer, they're very comfortable with the medium, they're comfortable with gummies. And, you know, my group sees it, I think, is more like an illicit situation. So it is really interesting to see how these walls are being broken down. And also, how, you know, we have such a culture of alcohol, and everyone is, you know, a rosé all day and it's like no problem but then we still treat this other drug that in a lot of instances my daughter has like just schooled me on the use of marijuana thc and cbd and there are research studies that it is a lot less addictive component it causes less health problems so while we're lauding sort of the use of alcohol thc get, kind of gets to be seen as um maybe not as acceptable it's it's a very interesting space that we're in. I love that you guys are so uh, forefront in this. Is it something you've just always been thinking about? And as soon as you could, you did. Yeah, I think you know, like you're talking about that the stigma has has changed a lot 
uh, in my lifetime um, from being you know younger and experimenting when it was really, really, really stigmatized and really legal. Um, and you know, both you and I, I think have seen the changes in our adult lives, uh, really progress. And even the language that we use now to talk about, um, you know, like you mentioned smoking pot and, uh, you know, I, I've smoked pot before, but now today I consume cannabis <laughs> and it's, yeah. it is and just it's not complete... your mom's ditch weed. No, it's not. And, and it is amazing to see, you know, that it has gone from just being, you know, a, a plant material in a bag that you would burn and inhale to really all these other just ways of consuming it. Um, and it's, it's great because it has, I think it's given consumers a lot more control over what they're consuming uh, and the options. And, and it's helped people explore the various uses for it. And, you know, what led to recreational cannabis and has been the medical originally and saying, Hey, this is something that can be good for you. And you mentioned those health effects. So, you know, I personally have always been, um, you know, someone who has looked at cannabis and thought that it could be a positive thing, much like I look at alcohol and, and see it as being a positive thing. Doesn't mean that it can't be bad. Doesn't mean that, you know, there, there's a, it's good reason that we have age restrictions on consumption of things and that there's, uh, you know, in, in the case of alcohol, at least there's, there's taxation that leads a lot of that money goes towards, you know, sort of public benefit to try to offset the negative impacts that cause are caused by alcohol. And I think you see the same thing happening in other states with cannabis, and I'm sure you'll see it happen in Minnesota. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, 10 years ago, never imagined that would I would essentially be involved and our company would be involved in producing um, a THC uh, beverage and actually selling it and, and basically becoming a, a participant in this growing um, cannabis industry in the country and now the state of Minnesota. Uh, that being said, it's a natural fit for, for myself just because of my interest in it over the years and, um, in our company and just the culture of our company. I mean, we, if you look at Indeed and you look at, uh, the brands that we create, the experience that we have at the tap room, you know, we have a little bit of a psychedelic bent. We have a little bit of a counterculture bent. We, we kind of attract people who feel comfortable in that space. Um, it doesn't mean we didn't have conversations as we waded into THC, like, Hey, like, you know, if you are uncomfortable with this, if you don't want to work on this, you know, we want to have a chat with you. We want to make sure that we're not ramming this into a company because we are a company of, of nearly 80 employees. Um, and so we have very diverse, you know, set of people and, and viewpoints uh, and experiences and everything. And, and not everybody at our company uh, consumes cannabis. So, so far, it's been a really fun fit. And I think the other kind of piece of that is, you know, we aren't a brewery. We aren't a business without people who consume our products. And, um I feel like it's it's just a natural fit for a, a good chunk of the people who uh, are fans of Indeed and what we do on the beer side. And we've seen that sort of growing and, and changing tastes of consumers. Uh, people are drinking less. Um, younger people are drinking less. They're interested in other things. Uh, some of those things may have like a psychoactive impact like THC does or alcohol. Um, and so they're just kind of looking for different ways. So we're excited to have this available, you know, in our in our in our brewery for people who are looking for something besides alcohol as well. I It's kind of crazy too. I hope, you know, Minnesota is sort of the land of the Puritans. I really hope that they decide to just legalize because then at least the government can get some benefit in terms of providing alternative resources if people need them and just making a, an even fair playing field and having some regulation it's just crazy that we're still acting like, you know, this isn't being sold everywhere, but 
onto other subjects. Um, mm-hmm. It's hard to it's hard to talk to you without thinking about Chuck Yu. Yeah. He is an artist that uh, I know from some of the festivals that I've worked on, and he's designed a lot of the labels on your cans. Has he designed? He hasn't designed all of them. Yeah. So we basically with Chuck, we've worked with Chuck since we started 10 years ago. He's he's been an amazing partner for us. Um, He, whenever we're doing a a brand, a new brand, that's going to kind of be a mainstay, be something that happens all the time. uh, We have him design the artwork for it and collaborate with our in-house designer, Andy Kikoffer. And then Andy kind of takes that art and adapts it to a can and, and fits it into the labeling along with all of the regulatory labeling requirements that we have and all those things. And um, and then we do do some, you know, for things that are not necessarily going to be um, done over a long period of time, or maybe something we're just starting out, we'll just do an in-house label without Chuck. Uh, Chuck is a, an amazing and, and very successful artist that we've been just really lucky to work with over the years. And um, so we we try to deploy him uh, only on the things that are going to be a little bit bigger things for us. Right. Um, but yeah, it's, I think he's a huge part of the Indeed brand and it's, it's impossible to imagine Indeed without him. I mean, he's helped us create, you know, our whole identity um, and a brand identity says, you know, it's, it's everything really with, it's, it's really the first way people usually interact with you is when they see you. Um, and, you know, the seeing you oftentimes leads to them then trying your actual product and trying the the taste. So from the very beginning of Indeed, we just believed we had to have kind of all of the key components um, done in a really, really excellent way. So, you know, you couldn't, you could have the greatest liquid in the world inside of a can, but if the label was terrible, it sort of ruins the experience uh, and vice versa. Uh, and then also just running a, a business that, you know, in a company that is a good company and does good things in the community and is engaged with that part of it because people care about who makes their beer and, and what they do and what the purpose of that business really is. So I feel like over the years, we've, you know, really tried to to succeed on all those fronts and and something we continue to do. And it's, you know, kind of back to the, the cannabis thing as well. THC, it's we're trying to do the same way with that as well, where we're just not rushing in and, and creating, you know, just something random and throwing it out there. It's something literally we've been working on for years and and have only been able to launch like a beverage like that successfully in THC or in beers by the diligent work that we've sort of built up over time to be able to do it. Are you surprised at the success level that you've had with the pistachio cream ale and also a little bit of the honey lager? Yeah, I'm honestly astonished. Um, (laughs) It's everywhere. The pistachio cream ale. It's crazy. Like, and I really like it, but I can't believe the amount of like random bars that are carrying it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's funny because you mentioned both uh, pistachio cream ale and then Mexican honey. And yeah. I would say both of those beers are beers that like, it's not that they didn't take a lot of effort to create, but they, they sort of just happened on their own. They, they weren't something that came out of like a big, we have big planning meetings, you know, we have big brand calendar planning meetings quarterly and then look to where like right now we're talking about 2024. Um, but those are just beers that just sort of like happened in this, like, Hey, what if we did this? And gosh, you know, that'd be pretty, you know, relatively straightforward for us to do. We, we think we know how to do that. Let's give it a shot. Um, you know, in the case of Mexican honey, that was back in the early days of Indeed when it was very few people working there and which kind of in some ways made doing new things very easy. We'd just be like, well, let's just do it. And that's how that beer happened. And um, and then it just grew from there. And then and pistachio cream ale is kind of a different example of that where we actually, you know, we had the idea, but we had recently opened up our 
our pilot brewery in Tapperman, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And uh, we're like, well, let's go brew it down there because it's a smaller facility. And we were able to kind of test it out there and people liked it down there. And then we were able to brew it up in Minneapolis and then it just, you know, it just exploded. And and yeah, you see it a lot of places. Um, you know, people like cream ales in the upper Midwest. Uh, you know, New Glarus Spotted Cow is a great example of that. It's a cream ale. Um, Castle Danger has a successful cream ale. So I think it was just kind of a natural momentum thing for people. They're like, oh, I know what that is. And I think I like it. Uh, and I, what I really like about pistachio cream ale is it's, it seems like there's a huge wide audience of people that like it. Um, people who maybe, you know, aren't necessarily the biggest craft beer drinkers in the world, but they do like craft beer and they're curious about it. Brings a lot of those folks in, brings a lot of people in who just don't like hoppy beers. It's a fun beer. Um, you know, we've never tried to take ourselves too seriously at Indeed. So having a beer with like a bunch of weird psychedelic pistachio guys on it, um, it's just sort of awesome and funny and, and yeah. people get a kick it. And, and usually people ask, you know, they're like, well, how do you make it? I'm like, oh, we have to get everybody together in the company to crack all the pistachio nuts. It takes days and days and days and days, you know, it's awful. Our fingers are sore and sometimes people believe that. And I just laugh. And It know. is pretty funny. Um, you're a big, my husband's a big fan of all of your beers. And one of the things that I think I had in the tap room a super long time ago but I'm like, I think this, you're the company that will be the one I think that could be really successful. Why isn't there like more jalapeno beers in cans? Yeah. Why aren't there more jalapeno and pepper beers out there? Yes. Um, it's one of those things I think, and we, we did, you know, that's funny. The one you're talking about was a long time ago. And I think that was probably uh day tripper. And that was probably me that made that back then because <laughs> I had a garden in my backyard, but I was spending so much time at the brewery. Uh, I remember going home one day and it was, the whole garden was just covered in tall weeds. And, uh, and that, but I looked underneath all the weeds and there were all these peppers in there that I had grown. And so I picked them all and put them in a beer and it was pretty good. And I originally, it was I, was good. I was inspired to make that by um, Vickers brew house up in Duluth had always made a pepper beer for a long time. And it was really good. And I think they still do. Um, you don't see them much. They're kind of difficult to make. Uh, handling a bunch of peppers in a brewery is not very much fun. People get down on their fingers and they get in their eyes and then their eyes are burning. And, uh, and it's just one of those things that people love to try and will drink in a tap room. But if you made a six pack of pepper beer and put it in a store, it would fail miserably guaranteed. Oh, darn it. I did. I had a, I had one that if you get a chance to try it, it's being made in a small brewery in Minnesota. It's called vengeance. It's a jalapeno cream ale. Yeah. Um, Jack pine. If you get a chance, order it because I had it some the other day and I was like, it reminds me whenever I have a pepper beer, I think of that beer that I had at your tap room because yeah. I loved it so much. Um, we'll all right, so- you know, ingredients, it's just you never know. People, right now, you see people experimenting with like mushrooms and beers and yeah, know, someone like, who would have known, but it just, it's, you never know. Maybe peppers are the next thing. We interviewed uh, Brad Glynn at, from Liftbridge at the State Fair and we were talking about what's the next thing in beer and he asked us stephanie march uh, my radio partner and i and we both said savory there's been so much with the fruit forward and the hazies and um just this real juicy factor and we were both like you know how about a sage beer how about a lemon thyme something just something more on the savory side yeah we made a sage beer long long ago maybe eight years ago it was called sage coach <laughs> it was just Cute. In but it was fun. It was very sagey. Uh, yeah. Thanksgiving. And, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. 
Um, when you are in your day to day, you know, during uh, the George Floyd situation, uh, your tap room was able to expand during COVID, you were able to expand into the outdoors, and you've kind of kept up that that area outside. Is your Minneapolis tap room, I mean, it's pretty small. And is your Milwaukee tap room a lot larger? And how has your reception in Milwaukee been? Has to be kind of intimidating to be in such a beer town. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah, you, you know, indeed has, has evolved and adapted a lot over the years. Um, no more so than in the last, you know, two to three years with everything uh, that's happened in the world and happened in Minneapolis. Um, and so, yeah, we've, we've been really fortunate to have, you know, really just an awesome group of people working at Indeed that are creative, hardworking and ready to pivot, um, which in, especially when you talk about our tap rooms, uh, both in Minneapolis and Milwaukee, there's an enormous amount of pivoting um, over the last few years and, and changes. And, and some of that was driven by our own decisions, like opening up a Milwaukee tap room, which we opened up in late 2019. But a lot of it was driven by other events that were pretty much completely out of our control. Um, and so we've been really lucky to have all that. I think we've really been enjoying the last year or so here where it feels like there hasn't been a lot of pivoting that hasn't been a result of us all getting in a room and saying, yeah, let's do this. Let's go for it. Yeah. Uh, been really nice because it's, it's really exhausting to have to constantly change things, um, when you don't really want to, uh, you know, the, the tap room in Milwaukee, uh, opened late 2019, um, it is bigger than the the primary Minneapolis tap room. Uh, it's a little bit different in sort of uh, setup. Uh, it doesn't have like much outdoor space. Uh, it's like a nice, cozy interior beer hall. It's very nice. Um, you know, we had a little bit more of a budget to kind of make that place nice from the start where in uh, Minneapolis, we literally moved into an abandoned building and made it work 10 years ago. Um, and uh, so it's a little bit bigger in size, but, you know, Minneapolis probably has more seating ability just because we have the multiple spaces now and outdoor space, like you mentioned, which we've kind of just taken a parking lot and turned it into a patio, which sort of spun out of COVID uh, being able to expand outside, which has been a nice addition. Um, so, yeah, we're, we're, you know, we're really happy overall with the kind of where we've come with our taproom spaces. And, um, you know, right now we're actually in progress, though, in Minneapolis of, of, of planning, um, you know, a move of our taproom. Uh, to a warehouse that we bought nearby, uh, just a block away. So we we own a parking lot in Minneapolis, uh, kind of near the brewery, and just on the other side of that, we have a warehouse now, and we're we're developing plans to to build a new construction tap room on that site. And it's it's for lots and lots of reasons. Um, one of them is that, like you mentioned, we have pretty much one of the smallest tap rooms in in the state. Actually, it is very small when you look at kind of the core part of it, and we've sort of had to add pieces on, but. We're really excited to to develop and build something that um, is is going to capture everything that we already do really well and the spirit of Indeed, uh, but do it in a way that can really give our customers a, a, even a better experience. Um, That's fun. I've been to that warehouse. I think you there was like a bike race that kind of ended up there and you had an outdoor yeah. event. Yeah. Yep. Sounds right. So uh, right um, now we're doing warehousing over there and, and uh, we plan to build like a two-story taproom facility there with rooftop and everything. It should be pretty cool. That is cool. When do you anticipate that opening? Going to be a few years still. Yeah, um, but hopefully, hopefully, construction uh, costs will come down a little bit too in that time frame. We'll yeah, see. it is. It is actually lumber is a little bit less. I'm hearing, and so uh, good planning on your part. Well, it was really nice to actually chat with you. I'm a big fan of the beer, and I will try the the THC infused seltzer when I get a chance. 
I'm, I'm going to do it with my daughter. Cause she's like, you can't do it without me, mom. <laughs> she's like, you need, you need someone to be there with you. I'm like, fine, fine. Uh, but I'm looking forward to it. And I'm glad that you guys are in the space. I think if anybody can do it responsibly and fun and make a, a living at it, why shouldn't the Minnesota makers, you know? Awesome. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, it was great to talk with you and we'll release the podcast in September. I'm a few weeks ahead. So I'll give you a, a heads up before we release. Great. Thanks a lot. Okay. Thanks, Tom. All right. Before you go, I got to ask though, uh, where are you? Oh, you know, I'm in Ely, Minnesota. Okay. Awesome. I, uh, I just launched a cookbook and I have a bunch of events. My husband and I are preparing our van. We bought okay. a Winnebago Paseo during the coronavirus. Cool. Well, yeah, I saw the seven and a half minute topo map. I thought you might be somewhere cool and Ely's great. So yeah, absolutely. That's funny. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, we'll talk soon then. All right. Thanks again. We'll see you. Thanks. Bye-bye.